the Podfix Network. Hello and welcome to episode 253 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking, from indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them and how to try not to F it up in our very, very humble opinion. I am Giles Alderson and I am delighted to be welcomed onto the show today by the fantastic director, Mike Roll. Now, Mike is a fantastic guy and a brilliant director known for the TV series Shadowhunters, Smallville, Supernatural, Terminator, The Sarah Connor Chronicles, and the feature films The Princess Switch, of which Princess Switch 3 is out on Netflix now. Princess Switch 3, Romancing the Stone. Myself and fellow director Christian James, who's directed Freak Out, Stalled and Fanged Up, sat down with Mike to have a brilliant chat. Um, he talks about The Princess Switch 3, obviously, we dive deep into that, but he talks about his first feature film and how that propelled him forward. He also talks about why you should direct anything and what you should take from that valuable experience. He goes deep into the difference between TV and film directing and working with actors and why Hollywood loves showmanship. He also talks about the technical side of shooting and directing and how to conduct yourself on set. Not only that, but also his whole directing process. Oh, it's a brilliant episode. It's filled with such incredible insights and trivia for you. I think you're going to love this one. Mike is a, is a really lovely guy, very humble and down to earth. And as Christian says in the episode, has made a brilliant movie in The Princess Switch 3. You might think that's not for me, but actually the camera work is incredible. The way he manages to direct Vanessa Hudgens in three performances simultaneously at the same time is worth the price of admission of this podcast alone. And the podcast's free, so you have nothing to worry about. You're really going to enjoy this one. So I've got some shout-outs this week. For those of you who loved Lapwing, uh, our episode last week, and have since gone on to watch the film. Wow, isn't it great? Uh, the fantastic Hannah Douglas, uh, Phil Stevens, and Laura Turner joined me last week. If you haven't listened to that one, that is how to go make an indie film. Really is, nuts and bolts, how you can do it on your own, pretty much, with very little money and have a huge success. So shout out to those who loved it and gave us some lovely praise along the social media stratospheres is Richard Roden, Rob Warsey, Sam Flanagan, Johnny Manel, Guy Lambert, Olivia Nash from Hi The Movie, Hi! Uh, <laughs> um, and John J.P. Watts, who's actually on the podcast on episode 248 talking about his brilliant film, The War Below. And that lovely man, John, otherwise known as J.P., got in touch to tell us about his screenwriting course called Learn to Write Movies, Screenwriting Step by Step. He's very humble about it too. He wasn't bragging, saying, hey, would you mind? He was saying, well, probably should promote this. So we thought we'll promote it for him. Here you go, J.P. Uh, this is for you. But it's also for the amazing screenwriters out there, those who are maybe struggling right now. JP's course goes deep into theme, into supporting characters, into structure, into scenes and dialogue and how you can wrap your film up. Um, each section of the course concentrates on a particular facet of your screenplay. It really is worth diving in. It's learntowritemovies.com and the link is in the show notes. 
If you want to do that, then click the link uh, and go and join JP on his amazing course. Right, as it's nearly Christmas, final plug <laughs> for our merchandise so it can get to you just before Christmas as one last gift that you might want to give your loved one or someone you don't like. Um, it is uh, it is on our website, thefilmmakerspodcast.com. I think the link is in the show notes anywhere, but you can find our merch on there. We've got some cool t-shirts, mugs, uh, and some face masks, etc., etc. A couple of things that'd be useful on set for you. Fancy that? Go for it. And if you fancy supporting the podcast a little more, then go to our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash thefilmmakerspodcast.com podcast we have some amazing bonus material on there for you and if you haven't yet seen repeat it is out now on sky movies uh, i produced that one which was directed by the brilliant richard miller go watch it and let us know what you think right let's get to it here is today's episode of the filmmakers podcast with myself christian james and the brilliant mike roll bon appetit Hey, buddy. Hi. Good morning. It's Good morning here. Afternoon there. It's afternoon, <laughs> but it feels like morning. <laughs> I've just watched The Princess Switch 3. I've just finished watching it about 20 minutes ago. Okay. So Great. it's definitely on Netflix. I can guarantee that it's on Netflix. It's there. <laughs> it's doing very well. It was up there with the uh, in the top 10. It's still up there, I believe. But uh, we were right, right, be- right behind Red Notice. That was the one that was like, oh, wow. it's tra- that's trashing everybody. Red Notice is doing really well. It's it's one of those that's just a bit fun and silly and you can watch and just go, all right, that's what it was. Right, exactly. Yeah, but but it, it's made a lot of like... Well, <laughs> Nothing makes money anymore, Charles, is it? It's just, it just it makes a lot of views. A lot of views, a lot of yeah, views. it's so strange. Are you privy to that? How open are Netflix with the, you know, obviously Princess Switch is doing really well because it's a third movie in the series. Yeah. But do Netflix uh, give you that information or how does that, how do you know how well or how does that quantify? I mean, if a movie traditionally is done well, you know what it's grossed. So yeah. you're going to get an idea the budget's going to be bigger. How does that work for you guys? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, me personally, I'm not so privy to a lot of that information. I get most of my information just like everybody. How's it doing? Where's it's placing and stuff? Yeah. But I'm sure they've got the, all their in, internal diagnostics that to measure uh, you know, based on whatever their new model is, you know, the mm. new box office kind of thing. But uh, they're very happy. They're, uh, you know, it's the third of the three movies. Each one of them has done very well and placed in the top 10 and stuff. So I don't know what the, how the diagnosis work. I just see a lot of smiles. And when I see smiles as a director, I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah, I suppose yeah. in many ways, it's a bit more of a, it's a, a slightly purer route of feedback, really, because you're not focusing on the numbers or the opening or the amount of screens. You're just like, ah, eh, people are watching it. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're gauging feedback directly rather than yeah pretty much yeah it's pretty pretty instantaneously and you know for me it's 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 you know i guess i'm a little uh you know more traditional that it's like the curtain goes up the show's on and i wish i could hear the audience but i can't so you know the behind the, it is what it is it's like the the it's already the ship's launched if it, mm. if it floats great if it doesn't well hmm, maybe i can learn some lessons from that and get some feedback and everything yes. like that right it's uh it's it's kind of yeah, one of those no, things. Totally. you know for after years of episodic television where you don't hear anything you you, you do your episode and you know it's mm-hmm. like and cut that's a wrap 
next guy, bring him in. <laughs> and I was like, well, okay, oh, shuffle you in the van and off you go. Right. And that's the last you hear of anything, right? It's yeah. like, what the heck's going on? Yeah. No. And suddenly it's on air and you're like, whoa, what's got, oh, really? That was my episode? Yeah. Yeah. I've heard stories yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. You know it's the feeling. Very, yeah. Yeah. It's a bit different. Interestingly, my debut movie, The Dare, was number three on Netflix in Canada uh, about no kidding. three, four weeks ago. And I had no idea. <laughs> Someone just messaged really? me from Canada oh. and went, you're number three on Netflix, dude. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's, it's really <laughs> nice. It was obviously, you know, around Halloween time. So that obviously really, really helped. But at the same time, it was For insane. Sure. Just like, well, that's you. great. Yeah. And then it disappeared without a trace, as they do. That's what happens. It's so strange. <laughs> so goes. Okay. Came and went. When I was trying to celebrate it and go, look, we're number three. And then we were no longer number three. You look like a liar. No, you're not a liar. Take a photo quick. Do something with Hurry. Keep a souvenir. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I've always wanted to go to Canada, though. I think. It's a brilliant place for making films at the moment. So many people are creating there. Now, you're from there in the first place, right? So how was that journey in for yeah. you to to create and start making movies and TV in, in that world? Was it, it kind of how it is in the UK? It's difficult, hard to break through, whereas America seems to just go, yeah, let's find ways for you. How's Canada? Well, it's a hybrid. It's really interesting. It, it, it's a hybrid between the UK and United States. And when I first sort of came along in Vancouver, this is right after film school. This is going back a little bit, you know, in the late 80s and early 90s. The industry then was very traditional. It was very much probably based on the UK where it was domestic production was, you know, it was there and it was, you know, it was prolific inside the country. But, you know, it was a small pool for, you know, a, a larger pool of filmmakers. So, you know, you've got the uh, the funding agencies and the grant agencies and stuff like that, that you'd, you'd go to to try to get funds. So it was, you know, it was a challenge and stuff mm -hmm. like that. But yeah. I managed to uh, time my personally, my timing was not so bad because uh, a couple of years after film school, when I I left, uh, I grew up in a, in a city called Calgary, which is about 600 miles east of Vancouver. Mm. And uh, when I moved there uh, from there, a couple of years later, a guy named uh, Stephen Canal came up to Vancouver and set up a studio. And he was a very prolific U.S. Uh, uh, writer producer. And that's when Vancouver started to blossom. You know, the word got out about the city. We were one of the first places that that came up with the whole idea of a tax credit, et cetera, et cetera, mm -hmm. uh, filming incentive. And long story short, it just started to grow. And at first, I I was an assistant director at first because when I first came out oh. of film school, uh, I had made my student film and did won a bunch of awards. And I I thought, okay, here we go. Uh, you know, let's uh -huh. let's 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 see what happens. And you know, I was, I, reality hit me in the face like a pan of cold water. That's for sure. After I <laughs> arrived and went, oh, okay. As I hold the stop sign on a road, you know, stop, start, stop, start, cut, all this kind of stuff. And then I ended up having to, not having to, I made the choice of becoming an assistant director. And it lasted, you know, for about 10 years while I was making short films and, you know, and I was working in comedy clubs because my real background is an, is an improv comic. That's how I Kind of got into the whole business, mm. found my way to one of those places once, but uh, <laughs> never got out. Eventually, <laughs> <laughs> for a while, anyway. Yes, Mike. Sorry to interrupt, but I love to interrupt. Yeah. What came? Uh, that's why Charles brings me on this thing to interrupt. <laughs> people. Um, uh, what came? Was it film school then comedy? We, we how? I'm just fascinated as to how you were sort of fueling those two things: film well, yeah, school, directing, and film school, and then comedy. Yeah, it was. Uh, I found myself. You know, back, I was in my twenties. I was trying to figure out what I wanted to really do. I tried a few things out, and I, 
made my way to a place called the Loose Moose Theater, which was a mm-hmm. improv theater in Calgary. And uh, it was a uh, artistic director was a fellow named uh, he's still around to Keith Johnson, who is uh, he's from England. He's a, a UK director, improv guru. He's really well known mm-hmm. around the world in that in those circles. So, yeah, that, that's where it first started doing that, learning improv, doing comedy. You know, uh, it was a part time thing and I had a, a separate job. I was run, wandering around trying to figure out what to do. And then, of course, being in that environment kind of opened my my mind up completely to the idea of artistry and, you know, creation and, you know, the, the idea that you that people do have their own unique voices and then, you know, getting past our self-editing systems and stuff like that, which is the core of improv, of just being mm. open and, and, and spontaneous. And then that one thing leads to another. And there's a film school in Calgary. It's a it's a it's a it's a it's a small but pretty potent little film school in Calgary that has produced quite a few people. And so I thought, you know, I'd like to go there. So went to film school and financed it by doing improv gigs okay. on the side. <laughs> yeah. Right. Wow. So I would, uh, you know, and everybody, you know, where's Mike tonight? Oh, he's off doing a comedy gig. And I'd, I'd finance my film school and, you know, all my expenses and living expenses doing comedy. And then once I got to Vancouver, it was a combo plate of a bunch of things. It became comedy and then getting into the assistant directing and then doing short films. So I was kind of like balancing them all. I'd be, a, I was a first assistant director, but I was directing my own films on the side. And, and comedy films, was it, was comedy a genre that you worked with? It was uh, not really. It's been a, it was a mixed bag, you know, some of them comedy, some drama and stuff. It was a mixed bag uh, at the very beginning. And then, uh, you know, I got noticed by, by a producer I was working for and he offered me an episode of television and it, it just, that's when the directing took off after that. Amazing. And yeah. I love that. I love that story. I think that's really interesting as well. Did you, did you, at that point when the directing sort of was taken off, did you kind of stop the comedy as well? Or was it something that was still burning in you that you wanted to, to do? No, I actually kept it up for a long time. And then uh, what ended up happening is I, you know, I started to realize that uh, I love doing improv. It's really great, but it's first draft material. And sure. when you spend your life digging into <laughs> scripts and breaking them down and looking for subtext and the red thread and mm-hmm. all the narrative uh, uh, components and stuff like that, and really seeing how uh, story and structure, how important they are for, for an outcome, it just sort of melted away. I didn't make a, a conscious decision. In fact, if I get a call tomorrow and somebody says, hey, we need you to come down and do it. I'll probably do it, but uh, really? it just That's sort of melted away. Oh yeah, for sure. It's, it's frightening for me. It's frightening. I think I did it at drama school once, not the improv. I quite like the improv. I, I don't mind on my feet doing that, but any kind of stand up or in front of people improv. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. You've really got a balls of steel to just stick to an idea or, and the, the teamwork involved, which must help oh. massively with filmmaking mm-hmm. because it's the yes, but mm-hmm. game, isn't it? Which we talked about on the episode with Michael Price. Uh, the Simpsons writer and he was it, it, and F is for family and he was always talking about the yes but game and the yes and game and yeah. that must be really helpful for you as a writer producer director you know, even first AD you know a director yeah. comes on and goes hey I want to do this shot you go yeah that'd be great but why don't you try putting it here <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean that's part of the secret sauce I gotta say it is part yes. of the secret sauce is, is uh, you know the two basic rules is no blocking, no wimping uh, in, in, in improv. So don't block an idea and don't wimp out when somebody gets you to draws you into something. Right? You always say yes. It's, it's those fundamentals that actually come in uh, 
pretty handy. That's for sure when you're directing. Oh God, yeah, I can imagine. And um, was the first thing you directed? It was TV first. Was it Poltergeist? Was that the first one you directed? The, the close, legacy? close. It was. Uh, the, it was a, a show called The First Wave. It was an alien invasion series. Oh, nice. Yeah, I've Great. got. I've got uh, uh, Michael. I've got. I'm just doing it. I'm doing. I'm checking you here. I'm. Uh, what's Zakaria farted? <laughs> <laughs> just before I uh, broke in to do first wave, uh, I was broke a first in. assistant director, and I got asked to come to the Czech Republic because a friend of mine was doing a, a bunch, directing a bunch of movies there. The back to the in the straight straight to video days when mm. you shoot these action films, and we shot them in in, in the Czech Republic. And uh, while I was there, I met uh, an actor. Uh, his name was Colin Cunningham. He was from Vancouver. He's a writer. And so he had written this script called Zachariah Farted. And it was that was the low budget indie film. It was financed by him and his parents' life savings. And I was the director. Wow. And uh, yeah, it was literally. And that was just before everything changed to digital. So it was shot on 16 millimeter film. Nice. And stuff. So it was... Uh, yeah, it, yeah, it is nice. It looks great, but yeah. it's expensive back then. It's and uh, really uh, expensive to shoot on. Yeah, it's film. and just all the all, all the, the the separate layers and stuff like that. You had to be a way different tactical director back in the film days than you do in the digital days. There's a little bit of forgiveness, you know, in technique. You know, mm. as far as not going. There's actually silver running through that box. Silver, silver miners. Yeah. Scrape that stuff out so that I can make art. <laughs> exactly. you know, it's like it costs a fortune. We shot our first feature on 60 mil. And mm -hmm. I remember every time you hit record and and because I operate camera too, hearing the film go past my ear oh, and neat. just people are acting I'm thinking just act faster act a little bit faster this is so expensive my, my direction must be really good let's do it a little bit quicker <laughs> well maybe time for one more take just do it really fast yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. low budget and 60 mil do not mix it's a no. scary 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 so you made this film uh, and you felt like it it did what changed for you what happened instantly where it was like oh oh okay I'm now a fully fledged director or was it you know what 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 happened? Well, what happens is that you get into that transition period. And, you know, uh, after working as an assistant director all the time, you, you, you get to be on the inside. You get and it's a unique position because you get to see, you know, exactly how everything works, including when episodics come and uh, directors come in, when they go and how they're treated and what's expected of them and all, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, when I got my chance, I was a little freaked out, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what? <laughs> this is actually going to happen? Okay, I guess I'm ready. You know, it's that whole thing of wanting it, wanting it, wanting. It. You get it, and you go, "Oh shit, <laughs> I'm yeah, not going to do true. it." It's <laughs> true. Yeah, it's 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 true. And when suddenly, you know, when you're watching somebody else do the stagings and and talk to the actors and all kind of that stuff, and you're not you're on the outside, you're you're not at risk. You know, you're just sort of watching them, and then to be inside of that, and it's this for me, anyways. It was sort of this surreal feeling of just free floating. You know, just not attached to anything. It was a little freaky at the, at the very beginning, but I had enough experience doing the short films and, and ADing enough that I got through it fine. But, but there's always that transition period when you first get the call. You need to, you need to have good scoreboard. That's what they expect. Once right. once you direct the thing, you got it's got to be good. And if it's not good, then you know, thank you very much. You know, and that'll be it for you. And I I've, I've seen it happen and stuff. But I was lucky enough to get to, you know some good scoreboard. And then again, in Vancouver, things were just starting, the momentum of production was really starting to build up where it got to the position of, we want more Canadian directors. Cause up to that time, mostly it was uh, 
DGA directors out of Los Angeles would come up and direct everything. And they started realizing there may be a pool of people in Vancouver that could do the, the, the job, you know, just as well. And, mm-hmm. and that's where the opportunity yeah. was. Yeah. Plus, yeah the, the, hey, listen, that was, that's what motivates people, right? Sometimes it's it's the dollar, so for sure, producers, etc., yeah. etc. Yeah. So okay, so did you was it the feature films that happened first? Because you made about four features very quickly in a row, sort of ninety seven, ninety eight, around the time of Zachariah farted, uh, which is which is kind of really cool, really. I think was that something that, that that was just it all happened in one sort of movement? It was like one led to the other, which led to the other. Uh, you know, you got Cracker Jack, two Sleeping Dogs, and Hell Mountain as well as Zachariah. <laughs> yeah, those were the, yeah, those were look, those are the ones where I was like, I'll direct anything. I'll direct traffic. You know, right. I just want to do stuff. And the Czech the Czech Republic opportunity I told told you about earlier, that mm. that blossomed to its own thing as well. Where I was right. working as a second unit director for my friend, that producer, uh, a lovely man named Nick uh uh Lloyd Shamandel. This is going way back. He yeah. says, Mike, you want to direct movie? You know? <laughs> so I said, sure. And uh, those were straight, straight action films and stuff like that. And so that was sort of the, uh, and then soon after that, when I came back home, that's when Zacharias uh, came up and okay. stuff. So I was laying the bed, but it was a risky, risky time. Cause I was a new dad. I had a, a young daughter and stuff. And you know, my, my wife, she's my ex-wife now. I wonder why. I was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? You yeah, have such Czech a Republic. solid career. Oh, yeah. yeah just like, yeah. what are you, you know, you're going off to the Czech Republic and, you know, there's a little bit of uncertainty. There's very supportive, but, uh, you know, it, mm. there is uncertainty because, you know, we work in a freelance market and, and you're taking your chances if you walk away from something solid and just something that may or may not work out. It was a little bit funky time and i was it's it's unnerving a little bit is this gonna last right mm. but uh you know i've been lucky enough that uh you know momentum kept going and i was okay but also it was something you really wanted to do as much as first directing you're obviously very good at it you know the amount of tv shows you did as a first director or assistant director is huge but mm. yet you had this burning passion to do features now really interesting what you said there was you know i wanted to direct anything get my mm-hmm. hands on anything what yeah. did you learn from that time like you say is do you look back now and you're glad you did it would you do anything different it'd be really interesting to know i would say you know i don't regret it i mean the movies are they they are what they are and i don't regret it because anytime you get to be on a set and direct actors and work on stages and cameras that's totally a valuable experience that you can put in your in your little uh, toolbox of experience mm-hmm. right i got really into the directing side of things at Probably, and it's, you know, I, I, I probably probably would have kept writing a little bit more back then. But as the opportunities came up, I got busier and busier. I sort of stayed more into the directing end of the pool and let the writing sort of float away a little bit. Ironically, now it's starting to float back again, right? Hmm. And stuff. But yeah, I was really stuck in that mo- momentum of wanting to keep this this thing going mm-hmm. and stuff. Because, you know, for the first in the first place, you know, my background is... Being a film director is probably the most unlikely place that my parents ever thought I would end up, you know, because <laughs> in, in Western Canada, especially at that time, there, there was no real, there's no film industry. It's just the local TV show and the film industries in Toronto there. It was out here. It was, uh, it was very rare, but then, you know, now it's, it's, we're a major production center and it's a different feeling now, but back then it was a little bit like the Klondike, you know, you're out there mm-hmm. with your, with your horse and your shovel and you're picking at the ground, you know, you never know if a nugget's going to grow, roll out or not, but I got lucky. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But you got lucky, but also you made your own luck 
you know, my, I, I kind of see it this way. I know CJ, you do too. If you work yeah. hard enough and you put yeah. your ear to the ground and you are digging for those nuggets, eventually, yeah, you're going to sift through a lot of shit, but eventually a nugget hopefully will land on your plate. You know, if you are good and you do work hard enough, it was, was that something your philosophy as well, you know, was like, look, I'm just going to keep working. I'm just going to keep fighting and doing what I really want to do. How, how was that drive at the time? Can you remember how you felt? I mean, it wasn't necessarily that long ago, you know, we're only talking maybe uh, 20 years ago, but how do you remember how you felt at the time and how y you conducted yourself, I suppose, to get that work, to pitch for jobs? Yeah. I mean, it was always about, uh, I always sort of kept in my mind, I need to make this project as much as a movie as I can, because there is a difference between episodic television, TV movies, and feature films. There's a difference. I always tried to keep, tried to get as movie-ish as I could, mostly in the stylization and the look and stuff like that. Also, I, I, I found it that it was really, really important that the key to success back then uh, was always about the actors, you know, and I, I had a good peer group here too. You know, I've got lifelong friends here that actually came up in the business the exact same time in a very similar way. And we all agreed, you know, that the, the root success is the actors. In other words, performance and so learning how to, to, to talk to actors properly, to, to, to figure out, uh, you know, the best way to communicate intention, et cetera, mm -hmm. et cetera, inside of scenes, but be, be just getting, becoming a performance director, you know, and then obviously shot making and the technical side of things is very important. But if you can make performance really, really good, then the people you're working for might notice that more than than anything else and i think it kind of worked because people would come up to me afterwards you know the actors and they thank me and say you know you listen to us and you you really you really felt like i was heard and that you could you could help me and my performance be better you know and i think that was part of the key you know is really focusing on that kind of thing why do you think you were quite good at that what was it that you were doing necessarily obviously listening is really important but what else do you think you were doing with the actors that could be really useful for our listeners yeah i mean it's it's it all goes down to the prep you know what i would do is i try to put myself in their shoes you know and that that's again the improv thing coming back you know, we're like chameleons you know we mm. can we can take take on you know a lot of things and so i put, try to put myself in the position of the actors so as i read each of their red threads to whatever piece it was and broke it all down into their intentions what their arc is you know what their desire line is and the tactics that they would use. I'd put myself in their position. So I had a little suite of suggestions, you know, and be ready to, to you know, and, and be able to uh, articulate them in small, succinct little chunks, you know, that's just part of the prep. And uh, I would come in with things like that. But then at the same time, realizing that I should, I'm probably going to just throw that all away because the actor will come in with their own point of view of the whole thing. But at least I'd be ready, you know, and I, I could mm -hmm. talk to them on those terms in those terms. And I found uh -huh. over time that at the beginning, I talked too much. Yes. Hey, peel the onion. Mm -hmm. Let's peel this onion. You know that onion? We should peel that onion more, right? And then eventually it gets down to like not saying much, you know, and especially if you're working with great actors, you know, who, who come in prepared. It's just listening and then just looking for fine tuning because you don't want to mess with things too much unless, you know, you really have to. That's why casting is so important, right? And I love uh, that. yeah, so I, I yeah. learned that over time. At the beginning, I talked too much. And then Listen. So at the time your directing career was taking off, it, it was a time still that TV and uh, feature films were, were two yeah. different tracks and it was harder to switch over. And there's still a bit of snobbery towards TV. Obviously, that's all changed now. But could you 
sense at the time? And you obviously, you it sounds like you had a head for features, and certainly what you were making was looking aiming that direction. Did you sense any pushback in terms of trying to trying to aim towards features? Now you're a TV director, or how 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 was that sort of uh, affecting your career? From where I stand out here, you know, like in Vancouver, it was it was a it's a different thing than probably in Toronto or or London stuff like that, where that community is around us. Back then, it just seemed the communities were separate. They were very separate. To do feature films in Canada, Canadian films, you were back into the uh, you know the uh, the funding agencies and stuff like that. And for me personally, I, I like I'm a big advocate of entrepreneurialness, which is what is the backbone mm-hmm. of, of producing and stuff like that. And at the time, you know, I didn't pursue it that much. The feature side of things. Just because I didn't want to get in that, you know, in that whole bureaucratic lineup and all that kind of stuff. I, I, I was working in television. I was getting completely satisfied with what I was doing in television. I was directing and I was having a great, a great time. It didn't really occur to me till later on. Once it changed and things started changing, whether it was a delineation from episodic TV and then feature films, there was a big separation. Once that started to meld, then it just started to overlap more and more. And so I could, uh, I could look for those opportunities. That's when the MOW started showing up. And then especially when the streamer showed up, the feature films that are like that, I could go back and, but along the way I was doing shows for the CW, uh, like Smallville and Supernatural, which Out were considered feature, de- feature yeah. television, yeah. especially Smallville. That was, that was a movie mm-hmm. that was feature. That was a small budget, but, uh, uh, our small, uh, smaller scale, but it was definitely, fe- that's what we all called it. Feature television. Yeah. And the expectations of that were very similar. Hmm. And we got lots of resources to do that show. It was a very popular show at the time. So I f- kind of feel that maybe that was part of the transition time too, when things were starting to shift, that Absolutely. I would certainly get those, those, those experiences and, and stuff. So I didn't really feel a longing to like, Oh, you know, I need a feature film. I didn't really occur to me because I was having a great time just traveling around doing all sorts of different shows. Cause I also worked in different genres. So I was getting a taste of everything. Yeah. I was hmm. completely happy with that. Yeah, mm-hmm. not only do, doing Smallville and uh, Supernatural, which I, I love, it's a huge, brilliant show, but also the Sarah uh, Connor Chronicles, which is again incredible, as well yeah. as Shadowhunters, the new, you know, the recently oh, newish yeah. one, which is amazing. But mm. when you're pitching for those jobs, and certainly at the beginning, I know, I know perhaps more, it's less so now that you sort of like your CV does talk a good game, you know, and mm-hmm. word of mouth is a good game. But when you were first going into those yeah. jobs, and they were some big jobs. Mm-hmm. What was your process about going in into the room? What what did you take with you? Did you come with images? Did you come with decks with ideas? What 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 worked for you? I found that it was uh, whenever I went into uh, the interview. One thing I learned early is that uh, you know Hollywood loves showmanship. They right. love showmanship, right? So I learned that when I went into an interview, that I had to get you know intimate with the material. I did a lot of research on the show and watched a lot of episodes or whatever. And I identified to them what I thought were the high points, you know, the, the places inside the show that I took a lot of inspiration from, you know, and I, then I would, uh, you know, paint the picture of whatever script I was, was working on or, or whatever. And I just really paint the picture and try to get as visual and descriptive as possible. But, but mostly it's an, it's an enthusiasm for their, for their project. If you feel that you're really connecting to their project and then offer them some stuff. Like I, I know I can really work with the, with the cast. Uh, already you guys are well down the road on some great performances. That's my specialty. I dig into the cast mm-hmm. shot making, you know, the use of some of the visual effects and the technical side of stuff. What if this, what if that, or, you know, and get them excited to the idea that you're their representative on set. 
they want to feel comfortable that they're going to send you out there and that you've embraced their vision, their show completely, mm-hmm. and that you're going to be a messenger for them and take care of their people, you know, especially the cast. And with Smallville, that was the first time you you directed more, uh, well, certainly a lot more than one or two episodes, which even though your TV credits were massive, suddenly you were invited back to do quite a few more. Yeah. How did, that must have felt great, because now, you know, 15 episodes of Smallville is huge. I mean, that's a massive amount, um, and, you know, especially when the feature films each time as well. Yeah. Uh, talk us through that and how different it was when you keep going back and you're back in the same show and the rhythms and uh, and learning that as well rather than being the outsider coming in going hey it's your show i'll run away at the end <laughs> right and re- owning it that's true yeah you while well, you get you you earn a rapport with with the people that are there more and uh you you tend to be more invited in the uh, in into the deeper you're already invited into the process, but deeper into a process, you know, and uh, that was that was incredibly satisfying. The pressure is still very, very high because, you know, you've you've got to keep the, the standards up along the way as well yes. uh, uh, and stuff. But, uh, yeah, you just fall into the culture like uh, super, uh, Smallville had a, a very specific culture, you know, and it, it was one that I completely agreed with. It was, you know, the, it, how they approached the show, how they wanted to shoot it, the kind of gags, the size of gags. And if you could bring just a little bit more, uh, that was the key to success. Like I said back, that's where I learned the whole idea that they want showmen. It's like, mm. okay, we've written this and 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 we've we, we've got some some ideas for this, but can you elevate the material? And that's and how can you elevate the material? And that's what I found the most fun is I could take this and say, you know, okay, uh, you know. Clark's gonna, uh, he's gonna inst- instead of just uh, standing there, he's gonna he's gonna grab a tree. And he's going to rip it out of the ground. He's going to throw it, you know, and knock the train, you know, and they're like, yeah, okay, let's do that. And you're like, holy shit. (laughs) And I learned right then is that it's not being, uh, you know, like irresponsible. It's really, again, being showman. They want you to take their stuff and make it better. And that's probably why it all lasts. My very first episode, as a matter of fact, I think what really kind of maybe caught their attention is I, it was a, it was a scene where uh, there's it's in a theater and there was a sniper at the back of the theater mm. who was going to shoot Jonathan uh, Clark's dad, Jonathan yes. Kent. And it was just simple, like, bang, the bullet goes down and then Clark's supposed to catch it. And I said, we need a cable cam. They're like, oh, what nice. do you what? Yeah. We need a cable cam. We're going to rig a cable cam all the way from the back of this theater. And we're going to string it right through the crowd yes. so that we can do like a lead and follow of the, of the bullet. Right. Yeah. Yeah. balloons pop in the background it just goes past some heads you know and uh and then clark will come jumping into the thing and stretch out and just kind of grab the bullet and they were like that's fantastic yeah and that's what planted the seed so once i did that once and you know and i had some help with my friend james who's we're, we're best friends we've known each other for so long so i'd already kind of like you know learned a little bit how he had sort of had that success and stuff so it just changed everything and so from from there it was about maintaining that standard and keeping keeping it going yeah it's a good technique actually isn't it because you uh, are giving yourself something to do because i'd imagine in, with episodic tv a lot of locations and a lot of a lot of the stuff that you would ordinarily do the colors director, the makeup yeah the costumes yeah, it's all, all done. it's in play it's already been decided yeah. you know before your episode or previous series so you're slotting into a lot a lot of pre-existing ideas whereas yeah. if you can come in and create something visual that gives you something to chew on as well rather than just going i guess you're not what you're doing i'll just stand here so yeah it's quite a nice way of yeah you're always trying to color within the within the lines but coloring with brighter colors right 
Ah, yeah, that's nice. the way I look at it, and it's true. On episodic television, there's definitely sometimes the rule book that you have to you can't d- 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 you know go off into the woods too much with with some of the shows. And see, that's the irony of, of episodic directing too. Is it's a kind of directing. It's mm. it's a specific kind of directing because you're there not to express yourself as you, but to express yourself as a representative of someone else. You know, and that's a that's a that's a a pretty big difference. And that's coming to for me personally coming really became clear pretty early. But even more recently, once I moved into the long form and then the feature films with Netflix and stuff like that, I was reminded or reminded that, yeah, it's a different kind of directing. So now I'm doing these longer form things. It's like now I get to define those colors and the wardrobe Mm. and everything else. And that's a that's a whole different that's a new kind of way of thinking when you've done episodic for so long. Definitely. Mm. Yeah. yeah. In fact, on, on Princess Switch 3, the last one, and number two, I made up my uh, goal to follow through every single component of the film right to the very end with the finished product. That included all the post-production, all the visual effects meetings, get into min- minutiae of everything, the com- composition, the music, all that stuff, because that's feature film directing. You rarely have a chance to do that in episodic. Like you said, that's all been that's all been taken care of. So you direct you you direct, you collect the footage, you uh, make your cut, mm-hmm. and then you're gone. And then they finish it off, and you know their expertise kicks in. And they create whatever show and manipulate your footage to whatever suits them, etc., etc., etc. So mm-hmm. it's a different kind of directing. It's very rewarding. I uh, love it. It's fantastic. But the long form, it's it's that's different mindset. It's totally different mindset. I mean, that brings us perfectly onto uh, you know the Princess Switch movies in terms of your your work on it, which is you know it's brilliant it's funny it's really what you want from one of these movies you know and it's yeah. a it is a delight you know, my niece loves these movies absolutely loves mm-hmm. them going into it obviously you were thinking about that that was the idea mm-hmm. behind it actually i'll just mm-hmm. give a little pitch about what it's about and we'll probably drop the trailer in um unless unless you've got a really good pitch i could read what it says here but maybe you've got a nice go uh, ahead go ahead (laughs) (laughs) when a priceless relic is stolen queen margaret and princess stacy enlist the help of margaret's cousin fiona and they team with a man from her past to retrieve it with romance and results in a very unexpected switch merry christmas from montanaro This year, we're hosting an international Christmas festival featuring a special visitor all the way from the Vatican. I present to you the Star of Peace. Sorry to interrupt, Your Majesty, but we have a bit of a situation. The Star of Peace is gone. This can't be happening. If the police don't have any leads, it's up to us to come up with something they haven't thought of. We need a person who actually thinks like a criminal someone with connections to the black market. If anyone knows the unseemly side of things, it's my cousin, Fiona. Good news has arrived. Meow. Meow to you as well. I've been in touch with an associate who should be able to help us find our missing treasure. Bonsoir, Peter. How long has it been since you walked out of me in Barbados? Will you help? You know the answer to that. One mistake, and the star disappears forever. So what do we do? You steal it back. Ow. Yeah, that's us walking in. One, two, three. Mary Queen. Stacy? Yeah. And that's Margaret. Mm-hmm. Well, here we go again. We're back. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 
this bad boy had a thing for you, huh? We were always best friends. It's gonna be like breaking into Fort Knox. Everything must be perfect or we run the risk of getting caught. Minions, fetch me my champagne. I don't sound like that. But you do. But I don't. Oh, she's good. Hunter's just arrived. He's headed your way. No one can ever know about this. Let's go into sort of your process then. You've got the script and we can, you know, you could almost go from The Princess Switch, the first one, to to now and maybe your development mm -hmm. over that. But in terms of when you first get a script like this and you go, okay, we're doing another one or this is the first one. What's your process as a director when you're breaking it down? At that point, maybe you don't know who's in it. You obviously do by the third one. They're all a lot of them are returning. Mm -hmm. What's your process? Do you do you break down the script? Do you work on the script with the scriptwriter? Do you think about locations? What what goes through your head as the director? Well, on the, on the last two, I was lucky enough to be able to sort of discuss it uh, at least broad strokes with Robin Bernheim, the uh, the writer. The you writer, know, where yeah. where we were able to kind of think, okay, wh which direction do we want to go this time? Especially on the third one, where we we had done the twinning twice and we thought okay what's a new something new we could add to the whole thing and that's where through the discussions we came up with the idea of of the caper you know and, and, mm. and you know having a uh something that uh, we could genre mix a tiny little bit just to mm. see how that would all work we we could have gone in many 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 directions we could have had a you know a fourth switch we could have one of the guys be a switch we there was there, there was tons of things we had to do we, we could have done but we chose this this track so once we got the script, I guess my process would be definitely to, you know, I read it a whole bunch of times and just sort of get the structure in my head, you know, and try to get it as deeply in there as I can. And I go through, I, I take each, break down each character first and just as far as their needs and desires and what their goals are. And I try to get that really clear in my head right away. And, mm -hmm. and then I start breaking it down into the technical things, usually, uh, you know, not too deeply because until I get the locations, Mm. I'm not 100% sure of, of exactly the best way to do things, but I get feelings for things like if I'm going to do a motion control shot or how I'm going to stage, you know, if there's three of her, how am I going to stage all that kind of stuff. And it just sort of becomes a simultaneous thing. But but for me, it's the red threads first, because that's that's the, the main component is the arcs, you know, and make sure all the uh, the desire lines are, are understood and what the tact some of the tactics could be. And then I just get ready with that break it down but this was a very tactical uh movie mm. well it must have been to have to yeah have we should probably three of vanessa, vanessa hudgens yeah, yeah. you know <laughs> you got three of your lead that's a lot of work for for both two you two we can kind of you know just about understand how to do that with three okay let's talk us through how you would even think about the technicalities of shooting the same actress in three different roles in the same shot <laughs> yeah yeah it's it, it it's a bit of a, a thing you know first of all the the, the the performance thing is important because you had Margaret, Stacy, and Fiona, but then you had Margaret pretending to be Fiona, and you had Stacy pretending <laughs> to Fiona. So really, there's five characters Good you point. had to think of that played by one actress. Mm. So right off the top, I'm going, and I know uh, I know Vanessa very well, and she's a total pro, and she's she she prepares to a very very high standard. But I knew that I needed to do I needed to be organized. And make her world easy. Starting back on Princess Switch One, we we definitely came up with a, the technique of how to do everything. And really, it's 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 pretty straightforward. It's uh, just shoot out each character so that she only has to think about one character in a scene. So if she's in a scene where there's a double or a triple. I'm going to play Margaret. Boom. 
and just mm-hmm. shoot all Margaret's stuff first right. and then change her. And while she's changing, I'm shooting other people or, mm-hmm. or, or inserts or stuff like that, filling in the time, shooting other components of the scene. And then she comes back and then we'll shoot that character out, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And usually what that kind of came down to was either, and this is where the technical part of it became a little tricky, especially on, on, on sets that were in live locations where we couldn't move walls, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. is I would have to leave locked off cameras in places, you know, for yeah. doing wide shots with all three or a motion control shot. I have to leave the rig there uh, and stuff. And so I had to stage the scenes with keeping in mind where all these lock off cameras would go. So I wouldn't see them in any of the subsequent shots. Yeah. You know, so I would, uh, you know, have to get tactical on which axis and where shots tend to get thrown when you're on one certain axis and, you know, break a scene. So put it on this axis. So the shots tend to shoot out this way and I won't see the camera over there, et cetera, et cetera. And stage a lot of these scenes had like eight people in them too. So you had to get really sort of tactical that way. Crossing the line crazy. And especially if you're going off to get change, which could take, you know, half an hour, an hour, make up all that kind of stuff. Suddenly you've set your shot, it's ready, uh, but you've already shooting other things around that, including reactions and people moving. Yeah. I must, you must be an absolute head, you know, constantly thinking, oh God, eyelines. (laughs) Doubles, you must have used so many doubles actresses to come in and read the other lines. Well, that's true. Yeah. I, I didn't mention that. Yeah. It's that we had three actresses, uh, they're actors in their own right mm-hmm. that each played one of the characters and depending on what Vanessa was playing, the other two would, would play the on, sometimes on camera for over shoulders or whatever, mm-hmm. or, or off camera. And during the stagings and the blockings and stuff like that, they would be a, a complete component of that where they note what Vanessa was doing. We'd run through each character. Okay, this time you're Margaret. Let's mm-hmm. loosely run around how, how you're going to do it. Okay, good. And then we do it with the other characters as well. And they take notes and take uh, and watch it all. And then we would rehearse. And it was tricky though, because, you know, you know, blocking is not quite the same as performance, right? So Vanessa isn't going to, isn't going to give full blast on each of the characters. But because these other three were legit actors, they're very generous with their off camera and their on camera stuff. And if there was anything that was a little off, she'd say, well, actually, I'm probably going to do, do it this way more or that way more and stuff or she would just play off them in a way that she knew that she was going to do later it was it's just it's just she's very well prepared that way incredible uh, yeah Yeah, yeah that's something incredible um and fascinating for you as well to sort of just play in that box do you do you get quite a bit of time to shoot in terms of uh you know days you know is it a kind of your schedule's you know, quite nice because it's a Netflix season or is it, do you know what, it's still really tight and it's really difficult um, or do you get do you get tight? Is it like us not making an indie film or is it like making a big Netflix show? It looks very polished, yeah. So <laughs> Here's what I like to say to, to, is that water finds its own level. You know, it, 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 it's, it's always, there's, it's always, uh, it's never going to be enough time. It's so you think intuitively, you go, Oh, I've got all these days to do this compared to all the days I had maybe doing certain episodic TV. But it's funny how time just finds the water finds its level. And Mm. there's always a series of reasons why 
you sort of end up in the same place. Always, like, yeah. Why am I? Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> this is two pages. This is not 10. <laughs> what the hell? It's the biggest yeah. mistake you can make on set. And when, when the first AD said to me, hey, it looks like we've got loads of time to shoot these two scenes. I go, no, don't <laughs> say uh, that. Don't say that. Don't no. say it. Because suddenly that time has gone and you've literally, at the end of your day, you've got five minutes and you've got to complete, you know, three setups or whatever. It's, it's true. Funny. It's more money, more people, more kit, more problems. It's always. It's true. Yeah. You got more moving parts and stuff like like yeah. that. And, uh, you know, then as a director, you know, uh, you gotta, at least for myself, I find that I gotta be more of a presence that I gotta be more of a guiding light and, and, and stuff like that. So I tend to be a little open to, you know, I'm there to really control things and keep the momentum going. And that's, that's part of the toolbox too, because I was an AD for mm. so long, mm -hmm. uh, that, that, that experience, uh, I can stand on a set within the first two hours a day. I know how the day is going to go. I just have an instinct wow. for it. Now I go, hmm. hmm. So then I can, I can make adjustments, you know, either in logistics and production or, or just, or my technical artistic side of things, I can make adjustments and stuff like that. My AD experience comes in handy just, just on how to gauge the day, you know, and, hmm. and organize and know intimately what each department does. And so therefore I can plan. That's the, that's that part of the brain. And then the other part is just more of the whimsy, you know, floating up there in the clouds. Yeah, and stuff. Going, hey, I can go can back and this. forth, right? <laughs> yeah. How, how do you pick an AD? Could be your first AD yourself oh, and, and, and keeping the atmosphere on set. How do you, what's, what's your route to choosing a good, good first AD? That's a great question. For me, it's, it's about obviously experience, but it's the rapport I'll have with the person when I first meet them and we talk and stuff like that. You know, uh, on Princess Switch, Martin Kroka, who was out of London, was the, who was the AD. And I love the guy mm. because he just had, you could tell the extra, there was a lot of expertise, but he had a sense of humor, mm. you know, and I, I love, I love ADs that have a sense of humor, but you know, have that work hard, play hard kind of attitude where, you know, now it's time to buckle down. Okay. And he's, he's a good leader. He motivates people. And I like ADs that motivate mm -hmm. and don't use the hammer too much. Mm -hmm. uh, just and get earn the respect of the crew. And I look for that when I, when I, when I but mostly it's like, if they laugh at my jokes, <laughs> okay, you know, that's usually I'll open up. Okay, first things first. Uh, um, you know, what's I find really important for the job of the AD is you got to laugh at my jokes, and if they laugh, then we're on. If they're like, "What? Uh, yeah, what?" Then I'm like, "Okay, all right, oh, I know yeah, what I'm dealing with now." Yeah, <laughs> I like that. I might yeah. use that. I to steal that. That's good. Yeah, See, it's a really good one. I think huh. it's important. You've got to have fun as well. It's really hard work, and you then don't want to be in the mix with people who are also just grinding you down. You've got to have those moments of respite where you're just going, "Yeah, okay, this is it. we're having a tough one today," and someone who can make you laugh or pull you through it. It's more important than someone who, you know, if they might not be as good as someone else, but actually they can pull you through. Uh, same with actors as well. You know, you work with people who you want to work with, who you create yeah. stuff with. It's the magic. And mm -hmm. it's bringing it all the way back, Mike, to your, you know, improv days, you know, creating with other people and that yes and, uh, yes. which is vital. vital. It, it is. It is vital. You know, and when you get into those tense situations, Mm -hmm. Your, your character's being tested. So what do you mm -hmm. want to be? Do you want to be the one that, you know, goes that direction or one that's like, in spite of it all, you, you know, it's hard to do sometimes, but you got that smile on your face and, 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 and folks can look at you and go, okay, we're going to be good. We're going to be fine. We're good. You know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, that's just part of the job. I think. Has that come with time? Have you been that director in the past where you think where, where you feel like you in the past, you may have not been as positive or have you always yeah. been that way? No, I try to be, but we all have our moments and stuff like that. Mm. And then, you know, in the earlier days too, you know, uh, when, when things go off, off the rails and stuff like that, you know, yeah, sometimes you lose your patience and stuff like that. 
But I learned early that it doesn't help anybody. It doesn't help anything. It, it, in fact, it could be, you know, it could be a negative thing if you get to, you know, if you, if you shout or whatever like that, I, it just doesn't do anybody any good. And I knew that back from the assistant directing too, that you could tell the difference and stuff like that. So a lot of, I learned a lot of lessons from those directors back then, the good ones and stuff. So, you know, it's, it's, we do, we, we spend 14 hours of our day or uh, an hours, hours a day in our life, usually on a set you, mm. before and after plus it's day. That's a mm. lot to ask from people. And then you mm. put them under uh, stress and in conditions like, you know, weather and stuff like that, you know, you can see how it can grind people down, especially if they've been doing it for a long time. So uh, mm-hmm. but that's that whole other side of, you know, of, 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 of the business that, you know, you just got to handle it. You just got to do it. You know, you do, right. You do have to handle it. You have to just step up. Otherwise it's maybe not for you because yeah. it's really tough. Those times are tough and it can grind you down, but you've, you've got to rise above it. You've got to at least find your way. What mm-hmm. um, bad advice do you hear a lot of, you know, in your journey that you've done and your incredible career and you, you, in our eyes, you know, wonderfully successful director and uh, it and writer. And it's wonderful to see any bad advice you've heard along the way that you went, oh, God, why do I hear that? That That's not helpful. Bad advice or, or yeah, I guess, uh, geez, the first when you said that the first thing that kind of came to mind was, you know, when you get to certain, you know, episodics or certain uh, MOWs and stuff, folks saying, you know, it's 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 not a feature, it's not a movie, it's you know, it's it, they're just going to do this, they're just, you know, it's it basically rolling over to the idea that a little cynical about what happens to footage after you shoot it and stuff like that, mm. you know. But I, I I try to stay away from that and and mm. and uh, you know, well, I do stay away from that. I just won't I won't go to I won't go there. I could know this is the project, and I try to you know, to be involved in the project projects as deeply as I can, you know, I'm talking about episodic and some of the MOWs now feature films are completely different, you know, it's a different thing. Yeah. That's probably that sometimes there's a little cynicism that creeps into stuff, but as far as bad advice, I've had plenty of good advice, you know, tons of, tons of good advice to build off of. Yeah. So any, any particular golden nugget, talking any, of golden any, nuggets. Yeah. Any, <laughs> anyone that, you what know, have you mind what golden nuggets have you mined over your time? Oh, little things like uh Greg Beeman on Smallville, just simple that he goes, Mike, see the spaces, then see the faces. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like basically what wow. they, the main, if the main technique of uh, Smallville was they wanted to see the wides and the big scope, Yep. Skip the medium shots. Mm. Go right to these. Right. And I'm like, no mediums. Yeah, I skip the mediums and stuff like that. But yeah. it was just the way he said it. See the spaces, see the faces. So th- to this day, <laughs> I use that same little formula. See the scope and the bigness and then get into the beautiful. Mm. Like that, yeah. you know. And uh, if you can skip the mids, if you're under the gun, skip the mids and go right to this because that's the money, right? That's the money. This, this that's is so true. We can spend far too long on wides and mids. Absolutely. And in the edit, you go, how many going to punch in on that mid anyway? <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> or, shoot, or shooting, shooting 10 takes of your master. Oh, stop it. Yeah. 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 Can't do it. Waste of time. Well, the yeah. amount of times I've had a mid I can't use because of continuity error. So it's like, oh, just close ups, it is then. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Things like that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> the fact that you know, over all this time, you as a director must have learned so much. The editing side of that, obviously in TV, mm-hmm. you might not get as much of that, but that's why coming back to film, and you mentioned earlier, and I loved it, you said, no, I get to do all the bits. I yeah. get to come in and do all the, the the makeup, the costume. I can choose that. And then I can do the, the composition at the end with the orchestrator or whoever it is, the composer and the edit. Talk us through what you learn in the edit room about you as a director and shooting. Well, editing is a re- is the last draft of the script where you get to really fine tune 
what the story is. What I learned as a director is uh, all my successes and, you know, and then you find out all the things that didn't go right. And sometimes that's sobering. And that's, that's where you learn a lot of your lessons. I've learned a lot of my lessons is in the editing room where, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever choices I made on set, did they translate to a meaningful result in the edit? And sometimes you don't, and that's, that's not good, but it's also good because you learn those lessons about, okay, that's just learning. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's happened, you know, throughout the process in editing, but editing for me is really where you could really, uh, I like the idea of, and that's my technique of shooting is I like to control the edit in the movie. I do oneers and I do a lot of sequence shots and stuff like that. I like really controlling the edit and that's where performance really comes in. Cause you know, for me, it's, it's not the lines, it's the space in between the lines where all the gold nuggets are. Mm. So that's why I really like to work on performance a lot. And that's the satisfaction I get in editing when I, and I'm grateful to myself is I've got the beats and the moments with the, with, with the actors, where they actually have that lived experience inside those characters. And I know inside of editing, I can use those moments, but if I'm under the gun and I have to, you know, shrink the show down, or I've got a, you know, uh, a target time, I can, I can take those moments out if I need to and get to the result a different way. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a little bit of an alchemy in there. some of the lessons that I've learned in there. And also it's the quality of the editor you've worked with. I was lucky enough to work with Lee uh, this time, Lee Haxel, who did uh, meet the Fockers and yeah, he's amazing and stuff. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. uh, And uh, I learned a lot from, from uh, Lee, uh, Lee Haxel. She's a Emmy award nominated or winning. Oh, she did crazy, stupid love. Didn't she? Yeah. And I got to say, she's, she's a feature editor and she's been a feature editor most of her career. And I learned so much from her because her technique of, shoot, of cutting and stuff was a little bit different than I had been used to in episodic, which is good. It's just that it's paced up and it's, 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 you know, it's just different. Whereas uh, she would let the, 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 the scenes breathe and she really knew how to do that. I learned a ton of a turn from her and, and, and some of the techniques she would use too. She'd use split screens a lot too. If she needed mm-hmm. it, say in a two hander for mm-hmm. the, the pace or the interaction to be, different she'd split screen it the yeah. whole performance up you know i had never done that before it was a two shot that's the two shot and mm. if i wanted to control i'd go to you know to the coverage Singles, but yeah but she'd split screen it a lot and if we had something like a at least a hundred split screens in princess switch three of just her manipulating performance just by doing that i was like wow even yeah. shots that weren't even locked off there were supposed to be she'd figure out you know through the app and stuff how to do it and technically i learned a ton of stuff from her uh and comedy timing and stuff like that. She's, she was really good at it. So yeah, Amazing. Um, you learn a lot from the people that you're working with and veterans bring experience and boy, she, she, uh, she was great. Sometimes the, the films we have to, or we watch before the, 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 these uh, sessions, occasionally you do tend, uh, some, some of them you can sort of like, you look at it and get the gist. Oh, okay. I know what it is. And you can skip through it. But with, uh, Princess Switch three, I generally watch the whole thing. And because, uh, cause technically I was like, huh, this is not what I was expecting. And because of your oneers, you've got some really great oneers in there. There's one that quite early on, I think we introduced two characters. They're both on the phone and they're switching directions mm-hmm. as it opens. There's a lot of that throughout. So technically as well, I was like, wow, this is, uh, it just kept me going with it massively. Really? Not because I'm not the target audience for that, clearly. Right. Um, but I re- and I genuinely enjoyed it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And but I wasn't expecting it to be so. Yeah, just uh, technically on a level. It's just uh, it's amazing. Well, well, thank you for for thank you for saying that. That, that, that that's great. Yeah, I mean, it was. I, I I brought to it all that experience from all the other genres and TV stuff that I had 
had done. And uh, mm. it's a rom-com. Yeah. And it's a Christmas movie. And so it's, it, but I, for some reason, really wanted to bring in a different feel, especially around the heist, which is my favorite part of yeah. the show. It's funny, right? Uh, and the cross cuttings now, lovely. Yeah. And all, all that intercutting. Yeah. And I love that part of the thing because that's where I could recross re into a new genre. You know, as soon as she came through that front door, if you noticed, we ramped it to slow motion. Yeah. And brought in that, I forget the name of the band. It's a German techno band and just changed everything. And yeah. that was a, a conscious choice on my part because, you know, I, I was taking a chance of mixing genres. I went into a, I couldn't go too far. I went into a sort of the thriller kind of genre. And mm -hmm. if you notice in the party, I actually, you know, when I was talking to the production designer and, and the costume designer and stuff like that, I said, you know, we could do this party as just a straight up, you know, black bow tie and nice dresses and stuff. But this is right. Hunter. He's the bad guy. So mm -hmm. what kind of Christmas party would he throw? <laughs> and then I said, eyes wide shut, right? You know, <laughs> you know, if this was a different guy, that would have been eyes wide shut kind of thing. And who knows what's going on upstairs, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, what presents under the tree? Who knows, right? <laughs> <laughs> but it's consistent with your tone, isn't it? Your tone is, you're saying about switching genres and styles, yeah. but your tone is always very, very consistent, which I think is why it works so well. Great. Yeah, I was the, that was the, the fine line was to blend the rom-com Christmas spirit with it. Christmas. And, mm. but I wanted to, uh, you know, especially because it was a caper and I love the idea that, that we were doing a caper because then I, you could stretch your muscles a little bit, get the different visuals, you know, the music could change the, the colors, the, the way you shoot it, the, the intercutting, the fast cut. Mm -hmm. uh, th that was my favorite part of the show. I really enjoyed doing that. And I think it's probably something that the audience, it's definitely different than the other two, but I feel that it sort of helps with the upgrading of each, each sure. episode. Right. Yeah, the first absolutely. one was a, very, a smaller budget. It was sort of modeled more over, you know, a, a, a standard movie of the week rom-com, mm -hmm. uh, but it did so well. And then we just kind of kept growing and growing. And the third one, we got to stretch it into a new direction. They, Netflix was very, very supportive in allowing us to uh, express ourselves in a way that we thought would be interesting for, for the genre. And so they, they supported that right down the line. Yeah. Which is incredible. But I also think your audience as well has grown up with this movie. And I say grown up in the last, you know, how I'm, you know, it's not very many years. Mm -hmm. uh, so therefore that they follow the character. So even though you're saying you're pushing the boundaries a little bit here, yeah. I also think they want to go there with the, with the you know, the audience. So they don't want to necessarily see the same thing again, even though some do, but also they want to push, be pushing. Oh, that was exciting. Oh, that was different. And the characters are doing this this time. Yeah. And I, I think they love Love that and i think that's why these movies do so well and it's great that netflix support you yeah which brings us on to the princess switch four <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, who knows yeah who knows right who, who knows? knows yeah exactly yeah which is great but you're in a position i suppose to uh, maybe pitch things to netflix now and sort of say hey how about this how about this is, is that also something you're yeah that's something do? that's uh you know interesting for me to do yeah is to uh you know, is to go down that route. And I've got a lot of, you know, advocates and support systems and stuff like that to help me with that. So it's funny, it's all come full circle. It, it, it all started from, you know, the early days of my very first film that I shot my first on Triax black and white reversal film. I didn't tell you about that one. It was called, no. just very quickly, it was called, yeah. it's back in film school, it was called, the, it was called The Chord. And it was based on a one act play that Keith Johnstone, the fellow from Loose Moose Theater, the improv yeah. guy had written. And it was a story about a guy who never got his umbilical cord cut. And he lives in an apartment with his mother and all the merry <laughs> happenings that <laughs> goes on. Oh, it was very, great. Oh it was totally, it was, it was me going through my, uh, I have lots of influences through my, through my career. But then I was, I was a David Lynch 
like fanatic. I love That's David Lynch. Lynchian, yeah. And it was like very Lynchian. So that it's is not got... obvious in Princess Diaries three. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. Well, those are that pretty could be That could be Exactly. So oh, I love that, Mike. Honestly, this has been fantastic. Uh, you're a superstar. Really appreciate your time, your honesty. You've, I've written down so many amazing notes and facts and figures uh, that you've given us. So thank you, thank you so much. Really appreciate well, it. I hope you. I hope you got yeah, yeah, enough of the material that you were hoping to get. And oh, we definitely did. Yeah, good. really great. Uh, the cool. Princess Switch, uh, everyone, is available on Netflix 1, 2, and the new one, 3, uh, which is Romancing the Star, available now. If you fancy that, do go watch. They're brilliant. They're really well made. Why not? It's Christmas after all. Uh, mm -hmm. Remember, you can go out there and make your indie film. You can make it happen, whether it's through improv. You can go do it. Remember who your audience is and get out there and get it made. And if you're lucky yeah. enough to rise up, as Michael done is your duty to send the elevator back down uh cj thank you very much we'll see you next week pleasure giles and mike as always well not mike as always but pleasure giles as always of course uh, my pleasure yeah. and mike roll thank you so much for your time yeah i appreciate Legend. it fellas i had a great time thank you very much and have a good christmas yes. enjoy yeah of course <laughs> you too yes yeah. i'm getting really good at decorating trees Black, very, very, uh, very. Um, oh gosh, the, the, the Kubrick movie we just mentioned. Oh, eyes um, wide shut. Yeah, yeah very yeah. eyes wide shut. Christmas tree, so much. <laughs> Mike, yeah. surely by now you're like, I don't want a tree. Don't, don't bother putting a tree up. Or do, yeah, oh, you must be sick of Christmas. You You've done miss Christmas. And oh yeah, it's been for me. It's been Christmas for four years nonstop. You know, it's just like always oh, Christmas. But for some reason, you know, uh, my 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 wife loves it. And, you know, when she goes, are we going to put the tree up now? I just melt and, you know, and then off I go. So it's, it's different. I have a great time. So yeah, you'd be surprised. Yeah. Love it. Love yeah. it. Well, uh, there you go. Happy Christmas, everyone. Put all your trees up. Um, and I'm going to do that this weekend. Uh, take nice. care, everyone. Thank you, boys. Take care. Um, all right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you, Phil. Bye.